Would you turn your Bible, please, to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. And I want to speak, the Lord willing, this morning on the subject, how can I know I am saved? Or why are there doubts concerning salvation? Or am I really positive I'm going to heaven? Now these are extremely important truths from the book of God. And I want to just lay that on our hearts this morning. May we bow together in prayer before we preach. Our Father, we thank Thee for the privilege of being in the house of the Lord today. We thank You for the beautiful song that has just touched our hearts. We pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to every one of us. And if there's one person here who is not certain he's going to heaven, not sure he's saved, may that be settled today. And Father, we pray Thou wilt help us deal with the doubts and place them at the foot of the cross. We thank you for that great group of people who have professed their faith in Jesus this past week, for the days of revival, for Dr. J. Harold Smith, and we pray you will bless him in his ministry today in Oklahoma. We thank thee for every visitor in this place. And we pray that the Spirit of God would make alive and quick and powerful the Word of God because only He can do it. And may Thy Spirit touch hearts and may they see Jesus in Christ's name. Amen. In 1 John chapter 5, we begin reading with verse 9. 1 John chapter 5 verse 9. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God which he hath testified of his Son. Now let me pause a moment and say, many times we receive the witness of people. And uh, testimonies are so precious. And we hear what others say that God has done in their lives. And we thank the Lord for the witness of men about our own lives. People can sometimes see in our lives some things that we do not see. And we encourage one another or we help one another. But this scripture says, if we receive the witness of men, that's good, but the witness of God is greater. And this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his son. Now here's Jesus. And he said, here's the witness Here's the record that God is giving about Jesus. And this is all important to every one of us. He that believeth on the Son of God, Jesus, hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he hath believed not the record that God gave of his Son. Well, what is that record? He's going to tell us in a moment. But part of us, part of it he's already told. When the Lord Jesus came to the baptism of John the Baptist, over in Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 13, there came a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And so God gave the witness about Jesus, first that he was God's Son. In verse 10 says, He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. 
He that believeth not God hath made him a liar. Now when we come to, re to really believe upon Jesus and receive him in our heart, then we have a witness inside of us. We do not have to depend on an outside witness, but a witness inside that says, Amen. A witness of the Holy Spirit. Mrs. Ivor Morris was a member of our church for many years, is now in heaven. We had a, a, a class in, in training, you know, on Sunday night on, on knowing we're saved and so on. She attended that class all the time. And over and over and over again, we'd talk about the assurances of salvation. She'd, she'd, she'd come in and say, but don't forget the witness of the Spirit inside. You see, when you believe upon Christ, there's a witness inside. When you hear the Word of God that says, Amen, that says, that's me that says, I am one of God's children. He that believeth on the Son of God hath this witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record, mark this in your Bible, verse 11, that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. There's no life outside the Son of God. The life is in Jesus. There's no life in church membership. There's no life in baptism. There's no life in communion. There's no life in a good life. There's no life in reformation. There's no life in quitting drinking or quitting cussing or quitting a thousand other things and starting some new things. There's no life in that. That's all good. And people look at it and they respect it and say, isn't that wonderful? And they think you're a good moral person, but you can be good morally and still spend eternity separated from God in hell. The only life is in the Son of God, Christ Jesus. And this is the record, verse 11, that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Now, beloved friends, God has made it possible for us to have a no-soul faith. In your hymn book is a hymn called, It Is Well With My Soul. Horatio Spafford, who lived from 1828 to 1888, penned these words after a very difficult experience in his life in which his wife and three daughters were lost in the sea. And he received the message, your wife will not be coming home. Your daughters will not be coming home. They're lost in the sea. Horatio Spafford was a great Christian. Some had wondered, how will he take that? What will he do? Will he go off his rocker? Will he have a nervous breakdown? What will he do with all this sorrow? He wrote home, he went home and wrote these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet and trials should come, 
Let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back like a scroll. The trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall, uh, and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Out of the heartbreak and hurt of losing the most treasured possessions he had on earth, his wife and three daughters, Horatio Spafford could say, it is well with my soul, because his faith was not built on outward circumstances, but something deep inside. He had received Christ Jesus into his heart. And that's the question we must face today. Do you really have Jesus abiding in your life? Do you have the Son of God in your life? I want to ask every junior boy and girl, every primary here today, to listen. Sit up, listen. Look in my eyes. Everybody look right over here. I have a message for you. Everyone here. And every adult, every teen, everyone here. The big question that we must face, is it well with your soul? Are you sure that Jesus is in your life? That if you died today, you'd go to heaven? And when all these trials and afflictions and problems come, and they're coming, and they have already come in many lives, and if they've not come to you, they're on their way. When they come, will they just knock you down with their force? Or will you be able, in that quietness of your soul, to say, it is well inside? God has made it possible for us to know. It is His will for us to know whether we're saved or not. It is not God's will for us to go through life wondering and questioning and, and not sure whether we're saved. There cannot be any powerful life. There will not be any soul-winning power. There will not be any real desire to get into the Bible and study the Bible if we do not know for sure that we're saved. A little old lady got on a ship in uh, Buffalo. She was going to Cleveland up on Lake Erie. And out in the lake, sometimes there's a, a storm that develops. Just recently, we heard about a storm that developed, and there was a ship. They were not sure whether the ship had gone down or where it was out on the lake. Well, this ship was having an awful time, and it was being tossed and, and turned, and everybody on board was afraid. And they were wringing their hands and pulling their hair and walking the deck, and scared out of their wits. And on that ship, out there on the deck, there was a little old lady who was sitting in one of the seats on the deck, and she was reading her Bible. And they noticed that while everybody else was scared and crying and weeping and hysterical, and she just sat there and read her Bible. Seemed to have no, no problem at all. Somebody came up to her and said, how is it? While everybody else is, is afraid and, and we're fearful and there are tears and hysteria and people are walking the deck and pulling their hair, and how can you just sit there so calmly and read that Bible? She said, well, it's like this. She said, I have a, a daughter in Cleveland and I'm on my way to see her. I have another daughter in heaven and it really doesn't make any difference which daughter I see first. She had that assurance in her heart 
that she was God's child. And I want to ask you today, do you know for sure that the Lord Jesus is in your heart, that he lives and abides there? You see, assurance brings overcoming power. It brings the witness of the Spirit. It brings a quiet confidence in prayer. It brings a witness of life and conduct. It brings the witness of discipline. And it brings the witness of a holy responsibility when we know for sure. Well, if that's true, then how can we really know? And what is it that causes so many people to question, to have doubts? I want to suggest four reasons today why people doubt their salvation. First of all, there's a false idea of what it means to be saved. Some people have really no, no concrete idea what it really means to be a child of God, what it means to be saved. And so some believe that if uh, your life shows it, then you're saved. And if your life doesn't show it, then you're lost. Therefore, there's sort of a mixture of grace and works. Somebody said there are only two religions in the world. One is the religion of works and the other is the religion of grace. And the only one that will get you safe to heaven is the religion of grace. But there are people that believe uh, that if you work good enough and if, you, if your life shows it good enough, that then you'll be saved, you'll get to heaven. And so they do everything possible to turn over new leaves in their life. They do everything possible to, to be something that maybe they aren't inside, but they make it so on the outside. And they have an awful struggle because they never really succeed, but they try and try and try and try and try to live a life of good works, thinking that that pleases God. But the Bible says, all our righteousness are as filthy rags. And our iniquity like the wind has taken us away. There's not a just man on earth that doeth good and sinneth not. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord had to lay on Jesus the iniquity of us all. And so all of our outward good works are not enough. Now there's some that add water works to those works. And they say, well, you, you, we've got to be baptized. And so we'll get ourselves baptized. And now I'm baptized, and I'm living a good life, and I'm right on the outside. Everything must be okay. But there's a gnawing feeling inside that something is radically wrong. And it is. Because we're not saved by being baptized. We're not saying, saved by being, by, by being good on the outside and having all these uh, good works and so on. There are others who believe that uh, we're saved by being perfect. And so they start out, and they've really had an experience with Jesus. They've really been saved. Christ has come into their hearts, but they have some failures in their lives. It just gets messed up. And they read in the Bible that no sin will enter heaven. And they read in 1 John 3, verse 9, that says, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. And they say, therefore, if I have sinned, I must not be saved. Misunderstanding and failing to realize that that verse is saying, Whosoever continues to practice habitually that old sin and keep on keeping on in sin must not have the seed of the Holy Spirit inside his heart. Because 
the seed of God remains inside and will not give you liberty as a child of God as long as you have those old sins going on in your life and those conflicts inside will lead you to put them in the hand of God. And so there are people who have questions and doubts about their salvation because of a false idea of what it means to be saved. Failing to realize that we're saved by grace through faith, nothing added, nothing subtracted. They add works to their salvation or they add holding out true to the end. Now, I want to tell you the truest way you can tell whether you're saved or not is what happens when you sin. If you can sin and get by with it and God never disturbs your heart, he never sends anybody to you. He never allows the judgment hand of God come upon you. He never disturbs you. And you can go on sinning and just do anything you want to do and it doesn't bother you. I want to tell you, brother, you're not saved. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and he scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons, according to Hebrews chapter 12. And so the very first thing, the reason people doubt their salvation is a misunderstanding of what it means to be saved. False idea about that. Secondly, people question their salvation because of the lack of assurance of a definite experience. The lack of assurance of a definite experience. They see somebody get saved and there seems to be an outward uh, expression, an outward emotion, an outward joy, an outward weeping something on the outside that evidences something that happened on the inside and they say that's what I would like to have but I didn't have it now I want to preface this by saying everybody that gets saved has a personal experience there's no way you can be saved and not know that you've gotten you've had Jesus come into your heart and I believe God wants us to remember it. you may not remember the date on the calendar but the experience will be there. And you'll know that there was a definite time when you gave your heart to Christ. But your experience may be different from somebody else's. Years ago, I was in a revival meeting at Rocky Springs Baptist Church. And we had a meeting, went through all the week and, and into the second week. And we prayed for a young boy who was a football player. And we prayed earnestly for him. And, and uh, night after night, he would sit there with his hands on the bench, and you could, he would sit in the back of the church. You could almost see his knuckles turn white. And on the second night, he sat there, on the second Monday night, he sat there all through the meeting. And uh, we prayed and, and uh, gave the invitation, extended it a while, and he still didn't come. When the service was over, the pastor, Charlie Harris, went back and spoke to him and asked if we could talk to him just a moment. And, he came around to the front. There was a little room back this side of the pulpit. And uh, the pastor and two or three of others and I went back there. And we began to explain to this young man how to be saved, how to give his heart to Christ. And we were kneeling there. And we just said, if you'll pray this simple prayer, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus will save you right now. Well, we waited. And in a moment, he said, Lord, be merciful to me. And then he started weeping, a sinner. And he prayed and he asked God to forgive him and cleanse him and save him. And we, we, we began, there just came a great moving of God's spirit in that room. 
and he reached out his hand and he hugged the pastor and he hugged me and there was just great joy and we opened the door to come out in the auditorium thing everybody had gone home and when we got out in the auditorium half the people were there and when they saw this young man come out with salvation on his face they began to to shout and, and man we had a holy ghost meeting there and god blessed in an unusual way and pretty soon while all the all the rejoicing was going on a young lady came up and she was weeping and she said uh, you know i've never been saved she said i didn't have an experience like he did and we went over there on this side of the pulpit this time right out there and took the bible and showed her from the bible how to be saved well she said i've done that i said if you had jesus ask jesus to come into your heart and be your savior do you remember a definite time when you repented of sin and asked Christ to save you? Oh, she said, yes, I did that, but I didn't have the kind of experience he did. I didn't shout, I didn't cry, and nobody else did. And I had the joy of helping her to see that we're not saved by shouting or crying. We're saved by receiving Christ. Just simply receiving Christ. And she got up from there. We were on her knees. She got up with assurance in her heart. And she had been saved earlier not with that kind of experience and this young man had been saved with an unusual experience but both of them were saved there are three blind men in the bible that were healed we don't have time this morning to turn to those references if you want to write them down one was in matthew 9 the other in mark 10 and the other in john 9. in matthew 9 the story is told about a man that was blind and he came and said oh lord jesus will you heal me and Jesus said, what do you want? He said, I want to receive my sight. And Jesus says, just spoke the word. And he received his sight. In Mark chapter 10, there's the man that uh, said, Lord, I want to receive my sight. And, and, uh, and Jesus touched him. And he received his sight. In John chapter 9, there's the story of the man that was blind from his birth. And he said, Lord, would, could I receive my sight? And Jesus spit in the clay and made an anointing and took that clay and touched his eyes and he received his sight. Now just suppose those three men got together in a testimony meeting. And one of them got up and said, well, you know, uh, the Lord uh, spit in the clay and he made an anointing and he touched my eyes and I can see. The other man said, well, that's strange. All the Lord did to me, he just came over and touched me, and I can see. And the other one said, well, I must not be able to see because he didn't do any of those things to me. All he did was just speak the word, and I, I could see. Now, wouldn't that be foolish for one of them to stand around and doubt that he could see just because he didn't have the experience somebody else had? And sometimes people question their salvation. They doubt their salvation because they didn't have an experience like somebody else had. My friend... The Bible record is, he that hath the Son hath life. There's no outward evidence that's the same in each person's life. There's an inward evidence of the witness of the Holy Spirit that says, Amen, you're God's child. And that's entirely inside your heart. <clears throat> Let's think for a moment of the man, Peter, who was fishing. And the man, Matthew, who was standing by the tax collector's office. And the man, Saul. Here was Peter out fishing, and Jesus said, Peter, follow me, and I'll make you a fisher of men. And Peter began to follow Jesus. And here was uh, Matthew standing by the tax collector. His name was Levi. And the Lord came by, and he said, uh, follow me. 
and uh, Matthew left his, his tax collecting, began to follow Jesus. And then there was a man, Saul. He hated God, or rather Jesus. He loved God, but he hated Jesus, and he was doing everything he could to hurt Christians. And on the road to Damascus, he heard a voice, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he said, who are you? And the voice said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. And Saul was stricken blind. And God said, you go into Damascus and I'll tell you how great things you must suffer for my name's sake. Now suppose Matthew and Peter and Paul would get together for a testimony. And, and, and Paul would give his experience. And Matthew would give his experience. And then Peter would say, well, you know, I must not be a, a disciple. I must not be saved because I didn't have an experience like Paul did. You understand what I'm saying? Many people question their salvation because of a lack of assurance of a definite experience. And I want to ask you this morning to go back to that moment when you first received Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you were a little child. Maybe you were an adult. Maybe you were a teen. Do you remember that time when you said, Lord, come into my heart? Some of you did that this last week. Some of you, last Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, we had a, a glorious meeting here Tuesday night. Some of you did that 40 years ago. But do you remember a time when you invited Jesus Christ to come into your heart? This book says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I give unto you eternal life. And you shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck you out of my hand. When you come to Jesus and receive him as your Savior and Lord, Jesus comes in and he gives a witness inside your heart. Now there's another reason people question their salvation. And that is unworthy living. You give your heart to Christ. And then you get tangled up in the affairs of this world. You get all messed up in life. In Galatians chapter 5, listen to this. Turn your Bible to Galatians, the fifth chapter. And listen to what God says. Galatians 5, beginning verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now he's talking to Christians. He's talking to God's people. But he's saying God's people can sometimes act like the devil's people. For the flesh, verse 17, the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if ye led, be led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, wrath, factions, seditions, heresies, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, reveling, and the like, of which I told you before, and as I've told you in time past, that they who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. <clears throat> now here he's saying, it is possible, if you're not going to be led by the Spirit, for you to get so led by Satan, that you get your garments polluted and spotted by the world. And instead of walking with Jesus in the power of the Spirit and letting the Spirit produce through your life love, joy, peace, gentleness, and all those fruits of the Spirit, that you get all confused with the works of the flesh. And when you do, I want to guarantee you, 
you'll have no assurance of salvation. And there'll be a question in your mark, if, in your mind, if I were really saved, I wouldn't do this. If I were really saved, I wouldn't do this. If I were really God's child, I wouldn't do this. And there's something for you to think through. And I think that verse is there especially to help Christians or to help people who, are, who have some kind of relationship to God at all to examine their own hearts. We need to look inside and see, am I really saved? Am I really saved? Am I positive beyond the shadow of doubt that Christ is abiding in my heart? If he is, he'll disturb us about these, these sins. He'll hurt our heart. And there are four ways God deals with a sinning Christian. Number one, he disturbs your heart. If your heart never bothers you, be careful. The second way God deals with a sinning Christian is to send somebody to us. You remember David sinned against God, and God sent Nathan to say, Thou art the man. Thirdly, God allows the winds of affliction to come, and discipline to come, and doctor bills, and home problems, and all kinds of problems. And, and fourthly, as Dr. Smith so pointedly point, put it on Tuesday night, there comes a time when a man goes beyond God's call and God just kills you has an early funeral there's some people that have been saved and God just has to remove you just like that because you will not come back now, I believe the scripture teaches that even in that case that person is is, is in heaven he's saved by the blood of the lamb but God has to remove him from the earth there is a sin that our brother can commit I do not say you should pray for that one who has sinned a sin unto death 1 John 5 16 and so people question their salvation because of unworthy living and when that happens in your life and there's sin that gets in your life confess it make a beeline to the cross Come to Jesus quickly and ask Him to cleanse you from all sin. And if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's one other reason people question their salvation, and I'll be through. And that is a failure to obey. A failure to obey. When we're saved, we place our hand, our life, in God's hand. And we say, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? I don't believe you can be saved without doing that. I don't believe anybody that's ever come to Jesus to receive from him grace and forgiveness and cleansing and a, a home in heaven. I don't believe it's real if, if there's not in that, same, in that same experience a question, Lord, what do you want me to do? And that's what leads you down front. That's the reason you come and confess Christ as your Savior. Because you want to do what God tells you. And there are four things God wants you to do as a Christian. Number one, He wants you to confess Christ as your personal Savior and follow the Lord in baptism. That's the very first thing. And there's some people that have, that have failed to do that. They've trusted Jesus, but they've never followed the Lord in believer's baptism. You've never gone all the way with Christ. You've never done what God told you to do about baptism. And so, over and over again, there come these doubts and questions. I don't know whether I'm saved and, and so on. Because you have not done what God told you to do. 
Now listen, baptism doesn't save anybody. But if you've been saved and you have not yet followed Jesus in baptism, since you were saved, you're disobeying Christ. You're a disobedient Christian. And if you keep on at this, over a long period of time, there's going to come doubt in your life and question. After a while, you're going to get caught up in the world, and it may be years before you'll ever get back. A number of years ago, when I, when I was early, in the early years that I was at this church, I used to visit a lady and uh, talk to her about being saved. And she told me she wasn't a Christian. And I, I gave her some verses from the Bible and talked with her and prayed with her. None of those things uh, seemed to help. We'd pray and I'd say, now are you trusting Jesus? She said, well, yes, but he hadn't saved me. I didn't think about it at the time. I should have said, well, have you ever been saved? You see, you can't be saved twice. You can't be born again twice. And one day she was in church. We were speaking on a subject like this. And when the invitation was given, she came down the aisle and there were tears in her eyes and she said, Preacher, as, the, as, as you were preaching today, the Lord spoke to my heart and I realized that I was saved 40 years ago, but I never confessed it and I never was baptized and I've gone all these years questioning my salvation. She requested to be baptized. We had the joy of seeing her follow Jesus in baptism. She's been faithful ever since. And she's one of our precious older Christians in this church right now. Saved 40 years, baptized 40 years later. And all those years she questioned her salvation. And I want to tell you, if you disobey God in the little things, you may say, well, baptism is little. Nobody is saved by being baptized. I can get to heaven without being baptized. That's right, but you're disobeying the Lord. Jesus walked 60 miles to be baptized. Some of our other groups insist that baptism is part of salvation. I think the Bible clearly indicates that baptism has nothing to do with salvation, but it is the outward confession of an inward possession. Second thing God wants every Christian to do after he's saved and after he's baptized is to read the Bible. Read it faithfully and regularly. Study the Bible. Study the Word of God. You see, we're going to be judged by these words that are in the book. And as we study the Bible and we allow God's Word to come into our hearts, we begin to know what God wants of us. For example, suppose, uh, suppose we do not declare unto you and you do not read in the Bible that you ought to be a tither. And so you go through life, and you get to the end of life, and you go to the judgment bar of God. Every believer is going to be at the judgment seat of Christ. And Christ will say, what did you do with what I said about tithing? Why, he said, Lord, didn't even know what was in there. I didn't know I was supposed to do that. Didn't you read my word? You see, we're going to face that. And we're going to be dealt with at the judgment seat of Christ according to what God said in his word. What did you do about all that amusement on Sunday, the Lord's Day, going shopping and buying your groceries and doing all that on the Lord's Day? Well, Lord, I didn't know that. I wasn't supposed to. Did you read my word? What did you do about your clothing? You went half naked down there in Bowling Green, Kentucky during the summer. What did you do about that? Well, Lord, I didn't know I was supposed to do anything else. 
Well, didn't you read that you're supposed to be modest in your appearance? Didn't you read that in the Bible? Well, no, I neglected to read the Bible. You see, we're going to be at the judgment seat of Christ. Every believer is going to be asked, what did you do with what I said in the Word? That's the reason you need to be in a Bible-believing church. That's the reason you need to read the Bible. That's the reason you need to heed the Bible. And when your preacher pleads with you to live a godly, holy life, don't say, and don't go home and say at the dinner table, well, that's just one of his tirades. He does that all the time. I can go down the street to another church and they won't say a thing about it. You read the Bible. One of these days, you're going to face what God's Word says at the judgment seat of Christ. And you see some people begin to doubt their salvation because they do not believe the Bible. They don't read the Bible. They don't allow it to be a nurture and, a, and, and food in their soul and their life. Again, God wants us to go to church. <laughs> I've heard people say, you know, I've heard so many people say, well, I can, I can live a Christian life and not go to church. Have you heard that? Lift your hands if you heard that. Well, you can be a saved person and go to heaven and not go to church, but you can't live a Christian life and not go to church. Going to church does not take you to heaven, but it prepares you for heaven. And there's something spiritually wrong in a man's life when he leaves church out. And incidentally, some people seem to get their cup full on Sunday morning. Don't ever come back on Sunday night or Wednesday night. Have a little cup. Let's ask God for big cups. The Bible says, open your mouth big, wide, and I will fill it. Be in church. I was in a meeting a number of years ago at Providence Knob Baptist Church. And one night in the revival, in the revival meeting, a man held his hand up for prayer that he was lost. And I went by to see him after the service, asked if I could go by his house and talk with him. The next day we went over to his house, the pastor and I, and we sat on that porch. It was an old house. And we sat there a little while and uh, tried to help him give his heart to Jesus and tell him how to be saved. And it was all in vain. Couldn't get anywhere with him. And finally, the Lord just put on my heart to ask him this question. I said, sir, have you ever been saved? Oh, he said, yes. I was saved years ago. I gave my heart to Jesus. But I left God out and I quit going to church. And I haven't been to church for 30 years. And he said, I don't, I'm, I'm not saved anymore. And I said, well, let's just right now ask God to forgive you for neglecting him for 30 years and ask him to come back on the throne of your life and give your life back to him. And we did that. And as we prayed, he began to pray. And he said, Lord, thank you for saving me 30 years ago. And I want to give my life back to you. And when we got through praying, I said, sir, are you saved? Oh, he said, yes. I said, when were you saved? He paused a minute. He started to say just now. He said, uh, uh, well, well, I was saved 30 years ago. That night he was at church and came forward and made that commitment public. You see, when you leave God out of your life, and you leave God's church out of your life, there comes a question in your mind about salvation. Now let's get back to what God says. This is the record. That God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. Do you have the Son of God in your heart? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you have the Son of God in your heart? Do you have Jesus in your heart? 
Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Do you have Jesus in your heart? Have you believed upon him? If you have, thank you. If you have not, right now, would you invite him into your heart and just say, Lord, I want you. I need you. I ask you to be, be my Savior right now. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. With our hearts bowed before God. Every head bowed, every eye closed. God has been speaking in these moments. I want to ask you. I want to ask you this. Are you sure that you've been born again? If you have, thank Him right now. If you have not, would you just now say, I am not sure whether I'm saved or not. Pray for me. I'd like to know that I'm a Christian. While we wait just a moment, I want to ask everybody in this room, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're saved and you know that Christ is in your heart, you know that if you died today, you'd go to heaven because there's that witness inside and you remember being to Jesus. You're saved. If you know that, lift your hand real high as a testimony. You know you're saved. Thank you. Hands down. Our eyes are closed and heads are bowed. I wonder if there's somebody here who would say, Preacher, I could not lift my hand that time. I'm not really sure I'm saved. Pray for me. I'd like to know. I'd like to be saved. I'd like for Christ to be in my heart. Would you slip your hand up and hold it just a moment and then take it back down? God bless you. Is there another? I'm not sure I'm saved. Pray for me. I'd like to have Jesus in my heart. God bless you. Is there someone else? Just slip your hand up and hold it just a moment. I'm not sure I'm saved. All right, God sees you. God bless you. God bless you. Yes. Is there another? Pray for me, please. I'm not sure whether I'm saved or not. Remember me in prayer. Is there another? We'll wait just a moment. Anyone else anywhere? All right, God bless you. God sees your hand. Is there another? All right. Now I want to ask you, right where you sit, if you would look at me while everybody else has your eyes closed, if you lifted your hand, I want you to look at me just a moment because I have a message for you. Everybody else's eyes closed, heads bowed. But if you meant business, when you lifted your hand, you said you want me to pray for you. I want to pray for you. Look at me just a moment. Now God loves you. And he wants to save you. It is not the will of God that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And if you're willing right now to ask Jesus to come into your heart, he'll save you. Do you believe that? All right. You believe Jesus wants to save you. Do you believe that? All right. Then I want to ask you just now to pray what I pray. Just bow your head and you pray what I pray. Dear Lord Jesus, sitting here at the Glendale Baptist Church today, I realize I'm lost. And I ask Jesus to come into my heart and save me and forgive me. I give you my heart right now. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. In Jesus' name. Now, my friend, if you prayed that prayer, God heard you. And he wants to save you right now. And I want to ask you, if you're not saved, to come to Christ and just take that stand for Him right now. Let's all stand, please. Just as I am without one plea, but that Thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come. Number 249. 249.